Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Job Hunter podcast. This week we are heading up the mountains to chat to my next guest. He can typically be found wearing a backwards baseball cap while sliding sideways down a hill. I'll leave him to do the introduction, but what I will say is that he shared some really good insight into what it's like travelling around the globe, standing outside in the freezing cold, watching competitors throw themselves down a hill. So with that, as always, sit back, relax, grab a cuppa, and let's get this intro going. So welcome back to another episode of the Job Hunter podcast. Today we are taking the temperature down a few degrees as we are discussing a rather wintry profession. My guest is already shaking his head at that terrible pun. I'll leave it up to my guest today to introduce themselves as you're about to hear once you get him started, he won't stop talking. And my guest is frozen, so this is a great start. Let's do that all again. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was for some reason waiting for a cue. So I was like, oh, "What's your cue?" Right, let me do that last bit again. <laughs> I'll leave it up to my guest today to introduce themselves. As you're about to hear, once you get him started, he won't stop talking. Uh, thanks for that, Tim. Um, thanks for having me on. I am Gareth Vogan or Gaz Vogan, depending on which name you know me by. I'm a 28-year-old snowboard judge, and I'm currently sitting in a very cold Edinburgh flat waiting for winter to properly start and get underway. Fantastic. And uh, what exactly is a snowboard judge and what exactly do they do? That's that's a, kind of the key question of this whole podcast, to be honest. That is, really. So I'll try and answer it as quickly as possible. <laughs> no, feel free, free to go into as much detail as possible. Amazing. So a snowboard judge effectively travels to all the contests and we watch all the runs and we give out scores for each run and we effectively decide who takes home first place, who takes home second place, all the way down to 125th place for some competitions, depending on how busy they get. So... Um, it's a very, it's a strange career to have got into, if I'm honest. And is that just you looking at it and going, oh yeah, that, that guy did pretty good and he gets a five or is there a system that goes on to actually do the judging or is it all just based on how you're feeling on that day? If you feel a bit cranky or a bit hungover, is that, does that affect your scoring? Oh, that's what well, we actually have some education on that as part of our, our learning process when we're becoming a judge is to not let hangovers or grumpy moods be biased in any way or if you're tired. So what we do is we, we look at the whole runs and we have a, a set of criteria that we work towards. So we look at the difficult do the tricks how well they're performed how big they're performed if they're landed and then for things like slope style or half pipe where you have five or six tricks in a run we'll actually use look at the variety of whether they're all the same trick or whether there's a bit of difference in there um but we are supposed to be very non-biased we kind of use a bit of objective opinion when we look at what the trick is and then a bit of subjective opinion so it does come into play as a what you actually like seeing so certain judges will rank different runs in a different order because what well, he might prefer something and i might prefer something else uh, which is why at the end of the day we usually have six judges on a panel so it just completely averages out the the opinions um the only difference is slope style when we have nine judges just for extra extra voices in the judging stand so you, so you mentioned slope style there what, what other disciplines are there when you're looking at snowboarding 
we have Slopestar, we have Big Air, and we have Halfpipe as well as the the key or the three key disciplines that we do at World Cup and international level, building up to the Olympics. Some of the smaller contests, like the little British levels, we might have a rail jam. Uh, we might have like a smaller version of Slopestar where they'll do the kickers and then do, do the rail separately. Um, but yeah, primarily we do Big Air, Slopestar, and the, the Stunt Ditch or Halfpipe. Excellent. And um, if you'd kind of describing what what you might see as a as a spectator, what is the one thing you'd 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 tell people about these different disciplines? What what's the excitement factor uh, of snowboard competition? So big air is basically one trick. Best trick wins. Go big. Go home. Like huge amounts of spins, loads of flips. Uh, slope style, you get the combination, you'll get a few jumps. So you'll have, usually have about three jumps with different tricks on, and then some rails or some boxes, kind of like you'd see in the street, just handrails downstairs. Uh, so you have a mixture of you know, the, the rail stuff and the, the jumps as well. And then half pipe, it's the traditional U shaped snow mound thing um and you'll see about six or seven different tricks as the rider goes up and out of each side of the pipe working their way uh, their way down the mountain uh, probably a good thing to, to put a bit of a parental advisory that don't let your kids just rock up and start using some some handrails uh, to practice make sure it's in a controlled space before doing any form of dangerous activity yeah and wear a helmet at all times exactly <laughs> um so, I'm intrigued to know. Let's let's take you back to your five-year-old self. Is this a career that you've always wanted to do? Can you can you remember the time when you decided you wanted to be a snowboard judge? Um, not especially. I, at the judging side of things, I pretty much fell into it, um, which we'll come to in a That's moment. A great because uh, <laughs> it very much sums up the situation. Um, but I actually started snowboarding when I was about twelve or eleven years old. Um, we had one of the big snow domes open up just down the road from me. And I'd skated for a few years and my mum had said, do you want snowboard lessons? Because we have this slope near us. So I said, yeah, of course, jumped at the opportunity. Uh, and then I, as I got more into it, I was down at Xcape Castle that every Friday, sometimes every Thursday as well, because um, I was a very keen bean back in those days. And then it was, I think I went through university, did some competitions there, really enjoyed the event side of things was never massively good. Like I was never good enough to take it to the pro level. Um, I was kind of good for the competitions we were in. But I remember I was leaving school and we had our careers session and one of the careers teachers was like, what do you want to, what do, you want to do when you grow up? I said, I wanted to be a professional snowboarder. And she turned around and told me I wasn't good enough. Um, and as every stubborn 17, 18 year old does at the time, I refused to believe her and still carried on with my dream. Um, and I was actually able to... <laughs> to email back to the school five or six years later when I'd uh, actually got some money out of snowboarding to be like, you, you told me I'd never make it as a pro snowboarder, but I actually got paid a hundred pounds to snowboard today. <laughs> so that's like, that's pretty much how I got into snowboarding. Um, was always focused on the, the jump side of things, the freestyle element rather than just hair it down a mountain at breakneck speed. Um, but the reason I actually got into judging was uh, we uh, were doing the British university competitions. And one year we had some very, very sketchy judging involved. Um, the person who won shouldn't have won in one of the competitions. Um, so we are talking about that already. And then actually I fell off a roof whilst I was drunk and uh, I broke my back, which seems like a bit of a negative, but actually it put me into this career, which is really fun. So because I was told by the doctors, I should kind of tone the snowboarding back a little bit. One of my friends who was running all the competitions said, well, did I want to become a judge? And then I could still be involved with the snowboard element, but not have to throw myself over the, the 60 foot kickers 
Um, so I jumped to the opportunity, said yes. And ever since then, it's kind of snowballed and I've just, I enjoyed it as soon as I got into it. I'm just trying to, I forgot about the snowball pun. I wasn't even thinking. Oh, I was going to say, we need some kind of pun <laughs> counter in the corner so that we can keep track of the, the terrible snow related puns we're getting in today. It's just going to go downhill from here, isn't it? Oh, goodness me. <laughs> right. Well, that, that's the end of the Job Hunter podcast. Thanks for listening. Oh no, I'm joking. Um, we've got much more to talk about. Um, so if you were someone complete novice had no clue how to become a snowboard judge um where would you start what's the kind of skill set that you need uh, and the you know what are the qualifications that are, that are required to be an international level snowboard judge so the the basic kind of skill set that you need is just an absolute passion for snowboarding or skiing because we do there is the ski judges pathway as well um but if you love watching snowboarding and you're getting pretty good at calling the tricks then it's always a good place to start you don't yeah you don't need to be an ex-pro or um be super good at it as long as you have a, a vague understanding of uh, how the mechanics work for the lower level tricks you can take that knowledge into the higher level tricks as well um so the best place to start is with Snowsport England or Snowsport Scotland or Snowsport Wales, kind of your national governing bodies. Um, they'll often they'll often run programs to do like your, your lower level C license that FIS have. Um, but then from there, they might they might not be running one one year, so we can put you in touch with FIS, the International Federation, that run a yearly yearly clinic somewhere exciting. So we've had them in uh, we've had them in Bosnia, Bulgaria, Switzerland. Um, and it's a really good sign point. You get to meet a lot of judges out there. There's some good nights whilst we're out there. Cause that's kind of a, a pivotal part of the culture. Um, and we do, I think it's about a three day course usually, and you'll go through all the, the basics from looking at the ethics and your behavior to all the way up to identifying the top level tricks. Uh, so that's how you get into it. You come out with a fizz license. So usually a licenses work a b and c a being the top c being the, the least um and from there in my uh, in my experience it's just been a case of networking talking to everyone and anyone and trying to get yourself invited to nice places and what would you say are kind of the the big things you've taken away from it so far like what what skills have you gained from from becoming a snowboard judge and 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 how have you developed what the skills you've already got through through this career path um i'd say the biggest like the biggest skill I probably developed from it is a bit of critical thinking. Um, I've always been a very positive person and whenever I watch snowboard in the past has always been like, Oh, that was awesome. Oh, that was awesome. Oh, I love that. And then actually being a judge helps you break it down and actually think a little bit critically and just evaluate the whole thing and go actually, whilst it looks good, there's these minus points as well. So, uh, and it's something I've taken into kind of everyday work that actually not everything's always like looks as good as it, as it appears. So it's actually quite a nice way to, to delve into it a little bit deeper and think, oh, actually, yeah, this looks amazing. However, there's this glaring mistake somewhere that you can then at least be aware of and move forward with. And how would you say kind of this job compares to, to other jobs you've had day to day? And uh, I'm guessing it's not a regular nine to five routine. <laughs> Um, it definitely, it's by far the best job I've ever had. Um, I've been, I've worked as a, as a Nissan car salesman, as a receptionist. Uh, I used to run a social media marketing company. I've worked as head of communications for a, a business. And the, this is by far the most exciting one because we spend a lot of time traveling, spend a lot of time on the mountain. Uh, you get to snowboard a bunch. Uh, you get to see like meet amazing people from all around the world. That means I've now got a good network of places to stay if I want to go on a holiday. 
Um, the only downside so far is it's also the coldest job I've ever had. Um, you, you don't get to sit in like a nice little office with a heater on at all times. Uh, you don't get to stand outside in the cold a lot and just shiver and freeze to death, which is probably the only negative that you come from it. Um, but it, yeah, it's been a dream so far. It is very intense sometimes. Like you'll have a competition where you'll run for 10 hours during the day. Um, so you'll just be constantly thinking. And at first when I looked at it, I thought it was a very easy job because you just sit there with a pencil and just write down and tap and tap on your tablet, et cetera. But actually the amount of brain power that it takes sometimes for the highest level events is something I hadn't realized getting into it about how much concentration actually involves. Brilliant. Have you got any kind of interesting anecdotes or funny stories that you can share with us? Uh, I've got plenty, to be fair. Um, some Are they less, PG? That's, some, the, that's the question. Some very much less PG than others. Um, so one of my, kind of my favorite ones to fall back on is a bit of a, a weird day was last year in China. I was out, I did two World Cups out there and then I stayed for another two weeks to head judge the national championships. Um, which is very interesting because I just had, I didn't speak, I don't speak Chinese and my judges didn't speak English. Um, so when you're the head judge, you're supposed to manage your judges, make sure the scores are all kind of in line. Um, and I obviously can't do that speaking Chinese or speaking English because yeah, there's just no, there was a full language barrier. Um, so I had an interpreter pretty much follow me around on my shoulder at all times. So whether I was ordering food in the restaurant, asking the judges to change the scores or seeing if anyone would find me a tea he was there to like translate and simply, yeah, go into all this detail for me. But one of the days was super cold. It was minus 26 up there. We we're in this little tent. The radiators were so cold that they wouldn't turn on at the start of the day. The print, uh, the printer had actually frozen. So they were trying to get the radiators on so they could then hold the printer in front of the radiators to warm up. Um, and we had a TV producer that just wasn't following orders whatsoever. Um, so we worked with TV producers because for some of the longer competitions, we have to have cameras on the hill so we can see the whole run at all points. And I'd kind of read a briefing down and my interpreter had told the, the briefing to the guy and said, well, you need to do this camera until the rider gets to here. And then you switch to this camera and that camera. And I think like six or seven times during the competition was the camera was just terrible. We had to do reruns. So I turned around to my interpreter and was just like, can you please tell him to get the on with his job? <laughs> and, uh, I was, if I'd spoken Chinese, I would have known if he'd actually translate it properly or not, or whether he did the politer version. Um, but it's, yeah, some of those days when you're trying to work through language barriers is, is uh, it's a bit intense. Um, but yeah, but other than that, like anecdote wise, uh, we've seen a couple of worlds first, which is really cool to be there because the internet explodes afterwards. Then you're kind of like, Oh, wicked. I, I saw that at the time when it was happening. Um, and because snowboarders are snowboarders, you get to see them doing all sorts of antics. Um, like we saw one of the, the snowboarders get arrested in, or not arrested is more escorted off the premises last year in China because he didn't go out the, the venue in the right way. The, uh, the Chinese like their orders and their formalities. And instead of walking out the gate, he just jumped the wall at the end of the ramp um, and was chased down by security. So you do get to see all sorts whilst you're out there. And um, yeah, it can't all be roses. Have there ever been any times that you kind of, thought you'd want to pack it in or, or give up or, or stop? Is, is there anything that's been particularly difficult in, in your job? Um, at the top level, no. The, the top level makes it basically seem all, yeah, roses and golden showers. and Oh, golden showers, that's a terrible term. Can we cut that one out? <laughs> I think we're going to have to. <laughs> so at the top level, there's not too much. Uh, it's often, yeah, like 
champagne and nice trips and good views and it all smells like rosé. It's often the lower level stuff, which I've had the most difficulties at because you have a lot of parents involved. And as soon as parents involved, things get heated because they always believe that their their kid's the best. And they don't understand that whilst we we like the run, we just didn't think it was as good as someone else's run. And that doesn't, doesn't come apparent to them a lot of the time. So we've had things like keys thrown out of us. We've had arguments, lots of shouting matches, very much one-way shouting matches as well, which is the least t- fun type of shouting match. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, we're supposed to be professional and on our best behavior. So we respond calmly and they yell back at us and we respond back calmly and you never get to say some of the frustrating things that you want to you tell them. Um, but other than that, there's nothing yet that's made me want to quit. Um, I still absolutely love it. And I'm sure if we do this again in 10 years time, something will have niggled me or, um, but yeah, up, up until this point, it's, it's been quite a short career. It's only been going four or five years. So I'm still in, I feel like in, in the honeymoon period, maybe. Yeah, I mean, have there been any gnarly crashes while you've been judging? Have you seen anything that's been, you've kind of thought, oh my God, are they going to get up from that? Yeah, quite a few times. Um, cause that's like, that's part of the, be- the best part of the job is that you get front row seats to watch the best snowboard in the world, but you also then get to see some of the worst crashes in the world. So we were in, uh, Medena in Italy last year on one of the big scaffolding jumps. So they're pretty icy. The running isn't great because it's just fake snow on this huge scaffolding tower and it's at the mercy of wind and rain. Uh, and one of the girls was dropping in and just tried to back out of it at the last minute, but the speed was so much that she just had no choice, tried to skid to a stop on the way up the kicker and then just lost the legs from underneath her, hit her head on the kicker and then went smack into the crash mats about 10 or 11 feet from where we were stood on the side of the kicker. And it was one of those, you're like, this is going to be a like ambulance helicopter sort of jobby. But like she got up, she was a tough cookie and was just sat down next to us, just kind of getting her bearings again. Helmet was split in two, goggles had gone flying. Um, but there are a lot of times when you're watching and you can just you have like a massive intake of breath because you can see it's all going wrong and there is absolutely nothing you can do about it from the sidelines. Wow. I mean, the fact that you can get up after that kind of accident, it kind of shows where we're at with with protection, technology and everything like that. So, so yeah, I mean, you must be good good knowing that, that those people are okay afterwards because I imagine 10, 15 years ago, the, the percentage of people that weren't okay is probably a lot higher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, and now the, the venues are pretty safe. They have crash mats like underneath the, the lip of the kicker. So this girl did actually hit one of the crash mats, but you do just wonder that we haven't had a more major accident touch wood. Um, because yeah, some of the, the tricks and the, the height and the speeds that the guys are going and the girls is just insane. And it's almost just like an accident waiting to happen. But so far everyone's walked away pretty well from riders hitting scaffolding because they've gone too far right off the jump to yeah hitting, like going too deep into the landing and, yeah, dropping 30, 40 foot out of the sky. Um, but yeah, so far there's been, yeah, injuries. You see broken legs and broken arms and that's kind of part and parcel of the sport, I think at this point. So, um, tell, tell us about your other kind of winter sports career. Cause, cause I know personally you have other jobs that you do, do during the winter. What other stuff have you been up to related to your snowboarding activities? Um, so I had the really exciting opportunity um, for the 2018 Olympics. I uh, was invited by Eurosport to commentate alongside Ian Findlay um, because they needed an expert, as, uh, as they like to put it, in the booth. So you have a, like a setup of two commentators, one that does the whole introductions and goes through all the stats about it's then seventh Olympics and they won gold here, et cetera. And then the experts there to kind of call the tricks and explain what it, 
what the process is. Um, so I'd done a couple of World Cups with Eurosport and we were signed London and I was, yeah, sitting there enjoying myself, getting paid to, to watch snowboarding, which was amazing once again. And then they, yeah, they called me up and asked me if I wanted to do the Olympics. Um, so my instant answer was yes. And I'd have, at that time, I had a full-time job. I hadn't fully committed to the judging uh, program yet. Um, so I, I spoke to my work and I said, I'm going to quit or oh, I need this time off work because I need two weeks to do the Olympics. And they said, no, you can have it because it was high time in their season. So I told them I was going to quit. Um, and that's when they gave me the two weeks off, which is great. So yeah, we did the, the Eurosport coverage for two weeks and watched had some amazing runs happening. Um, but it's a very weird a weird kind of side of the job to do because I know I didn't notice at the time my sister was the one that pointed out but my voice changed entirely when I was commentating and you just get used to almost yeah talking through whatever's happening um but at the same time as you're talking trying to explain something you got a producer in your ear that's going you got 30 seconds till the next break or graphic coming up in five and it's a lot of multitasking that I hadn't realized was a thing with a lot of the commentary work. And now I'm aware of it. It's yeah, it's insane when you see some of the football commentators and horse racing, what other information they must be getting at the same time. And do you think that's made you a better snowboard judge because you've had to manage that multitasking and then and explaining it so well to, to the, the audience that are watching at home? Yeah, a little bit, because I think it does help you break things down even further um, when you're trying to explain things on Eurosport because it's very much a generic audience. It's not snowboard specific. You sometimes have to go down to the rare, like the very basic roots of, oh, instead of like, a, that's a front 14 indie. You have to go, oh, it's uh, a front, like three, four full rotations and he's grabbing with the front hand there. But it does actually help you break down the tricks. So I've been able to take that into judging and it's yeah helped me actually pull pull apart tricks and understand the mechanics of it a lot more, which at the end of the day is what we have to understand when we are doing the actual judging on site with the evaluation. Um, but other than that, I actually found it really enjoyable because it was almost less concentration than some of the judging takes because the judging, you have to be spot on. Like you have to have the right result because otherwise there's lots of money on the line. There's Olympic spots on the line. Whereas for commentary, if you accidentally call a trick wrong, it's not the end of the world. It's not going to change anything too much. Of course, you have to be as on point as you can, but it does take the pressure out of it a little bit. So what's kind of the career goal for you? What, what do you see as the end point or when do you kind of consider that you've made it in this profession? Um, I think once I've joined the Olympics, I think that's the end goal. Um, that's, part, that's part of the goal because that's something that everyone knows, whether you're a snowboarder or a figure skater or a footballer, everyone knows the Olympics. Um, so it's great if I get to tell people I judge the Olympics because it's something instantly that they go, oh, it's pretty cool. Um, but from the snowboard side of things, I'd love to judge the the Burton US Open because that's pretty much the, the main event every single year. It's not on the Fizz World Cup calendar, but it's kind of considered as pretty much, yeah, the mecca of snowboarding in terms of events-wise. So if I can get to do that, that'd be the dream come true. Um, I'm not selected for the world, the Olympics yet. Um, I'm down as one of the reserves. So if someone else pulls out or if COVID keeps going on for as long as it is at the moment, then uh, we'll see about that. But I think, yeah, once I've done the Olympics, I might reevaluate the situation. But I think the only time I'll probably stop doing it is once there's more younger guys coming through and the tricks start to get away from me and I can't follow it as closely as I'd like to. 
So you said you're on the reserve list for the Olympics. What does that actually mean? Do you get scored and, and do they allocate positions based on the top 10 judges in the world or how does that work? So the way it works, um, on all the, the, the World Cup panels, you have a, a set number of judges. So we've got six or nine, depending on which discipline it is. You're only allowed one from each country. Um, you can have a head judge and a scoring judge from the same nation, but you can't have two scoring judges from the same nation. So effectively what they do is they look at who's been judging the most in the past. I think it's the, the six years leading up to the Olympic cycle. Uh, and then they'll get allocated depending on how many events they've done, what standard they've done, if they've made any mistakes, if they've backed out of anything, et cetera. Cause you kind of get selected on your actual judging skills and also on your reputation and how committed you are to it as well. Um, because it's, it's an intense role, obviously because it's the Olympics, but they also expect the Olympic panel to travel to all the events most of the season before and the actual Olympic season as well. So it takes a lot of time out of your schedule. And if you've got a nine to five, you can't afford like the 10 or 11 weeks off. So often varies as to who can actually make Olympics in terms of their their lifestyle as well as their, their judging skills. So a lot of things come down to it. So I'm in as the reserve. So if one of the, the guys drops out because he's ill, then I'll get bumped up into it, um, which is what's happened this year for the world champs because of COVID and travel restrictions. Certain guys can't make it because of the quarantine. So I've actually, I've gone up from being in the reserve side of the world champs um, panel into the actual panel for world champs in February, I think. So you've mentioned the C word. I've, I've, I've tried my best to, to not mention it. Um, how does that affect your your season, your career at the moment? And um, what 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 are you doing to kind of mitigate the, the coronavirus issue? <laughs> that was the C word. I was I thought I might be all right with. I've been avoiding the other one all this time. Um, so we have basically just been looking at the season ahead. So I work quite closely with Fizz now. Um, we've changed the formats a little bit. So we're now dropping down to only five judges um, for big air and half pipe and six for slope style. So we're kind of minimizing the amount of people that actually need to sit in the, the judges stand with us. Um, a lot of the travel's being changed and the schedule's being changed. So we're having to do less travel between events and they're trying to restrict the amount of US judges and Canadian judges that go across to Europe and Europe across to the US as well, um, just to minimize the amount of time spent on flights, et cetera. Um, there was talk at one point over the summer that we'd, judge from our flats or our houses and have a, a zoom feed and a scoring system set up. Um, which I'm really glad never went ahead because a lot of the fun with the, the career is actually traveling to places and seeing the stuff firsthand. And I think if it turned into where we sat in our flats and just watched snowboarding, I, you'd vastly lose judges quickly. And I, I feel like I'd probably turn down the job relatively soon. <laughs> Um, but other than that, it's, uh, we're doing a lot of testing whilst we're out there. So I think we have to have a test within two days before our flight. And then every three days whilst we're at the venue and stay in our little bubble, uh, the same way that the formula one guys have been doing this season. Um, so it might be, I think it'll be a little less fun this year. There'll be less trips to bars and less time kind of exploring the city because we'll have to be kind of locked in our hotel room as, uh, as soon as the contest finishes or that day's training finishes. Um, but other than that, we're trying to crack on as much as we can. It's uh, COVID's restricting a lot of the judges from what they can do because there's yeah guys in proper jobs that can't quarantine for two weeks when they get back, so they don't want to commit to a week of snowboard judging and then have to yeah sit in the flat for for two weeks or get a hotel for two weeks. Um, so that's the only difference is it's just gonna be the smaller same group of guys that are moving from contest to contest. Um, 
And I think the only other change is we're going to expect some last minute cancellations or last minute, or oh, actually, can you fly to Switzerland tomorrow? Cause someone's got a positive COVID test and we just have to be really flexible on that. So if you cast your mind back, think back to that 17 year old self that was told you'll never make it in snowboarding as a professional snowboarder. What is kind of the one piece of advice you you'd give to yourself as a 17 year old now looking looking back over your time already as a, as a snowboard judge um, to, to yourself, let's say, and, and, and how would you how would you tell yourself at 17 um, to, to keep sticking at it? Um, I think I just remind myself or yeah, tell myself back then that you don't have to follow one of like the nine careers that the school tells you you want to be between a doctor and engineer and accountant, et cetera. Like there's so many ways to get work that actually, if you focus on what you want to do and look at the things you enjoy, then you'll be able to find a way to get some work from it or make it work as a career. Um, which is what I managed to do, particularly in the past couple of years. That's when I realized it a little bit later than I should have done was actually, yeah, if you if I love snowboarding, I should be able to find a job around snowboarding and not have to settle for working in a boring office. Um, and just to go for it, like there's at the end of the day, if it hadn't worked, then I just have to find a job. Um, which isn't the worst case scenario. I would much rather have tried it failed and then yeah, ended up as an accountant than got to 35 and thought, Oh, I really should have given it a try. Um, there's always ways to make it work in the meantime, when you just kind of like just get in there and chipping away at it. Um, but once it comes to light, it's amazing. So I think if you, even if you're only 50% in, whether it's judging, whether it's anything else, I think if you've got 50% intention to try it then just jump in, go for it, give it a shot. And if it fails, you haven't really lost a lot. Like you've lost a bit of time. You might've lost a bit of money for a flight or two, but at the end of the day, you've still, you've at least tried it and you've not, could not have any regrets moving forwards. And I think, yeah, don't be scared either. Cause when I'd actually got my first world cup selection as uh, in Switzerland in 2018, I was terrified going to bed every night and I was lying in bed actually at the contest thinking, all right, these are the tricks. This is what I'm doing. Just running myself through all the different criteria and the evaluations and the rule book and the handbook. And, um, but in reality, like, cause it's at that point, it's so ingrained that I shouldn't have been terrified. I should have known that, I'd done enough training and I did enough practice to get there. So actually just, yeah, let it, let it go and enjoy the experience. So snowboarding is a sport you tend to do in the winter. It's not really something you can do in the summer unless uh, they haven't invented uh, the sand snowboarding freestyle world championships yet. Um, so what do you do for, for half the year when it's not snowy? Uh, it depends from person to person. Me personally, I run a video marketing agency. Um, so, which is when I knew that judging wasn't going to pay me my, like the £55,000 a, a year or a month or whatever. And it was, it's a low paying gig, but it's good fun. I knew I had to have a job that I could work around the contests. And the only way to really do that was by being my own boss. Um, because we, when I was at Eurosport having to ask for time off, I already knew I was going to go. And I didn't want that to be a thing. I didn't want to have to keep asking permission from a boss that I was able to travel to contests. And the same thing through the summer. Like I wanted to do what I wanted when I wanted. Um, so I set up my business to, to work around that. So now I, I effectively go to businesses. I shoot video content for them. We create uh, adverts for them to put on social media to generate leads and just rate like the standard regular monthly content. 
Gareth, you've been a fantastic guest. Um, where, where can we find you uh, on all your socials? Okay, so uh, best place uh, is probably Instagram, where it's at Gaz Vogan. I do have a YouTube channel as well, but it's only got 65 subscribers. If anyone wants to subscribe and boost it forward, that'd be amazing. If you search Gaz Vogan, it'll come up. And I do a little vlog series and behind the scenes from all the contests. So you'll get to see some, like, some small clips that haven't made it onto the actual competition. You get to see what we get up to, some funny antics from once the competition's finished and the beer's being cracked. Um, and that's probably the best too. Yeah. Instagram and YouTube. It's been an absolute pleasure, Gareth. Um, I hope you're keeping safe uh, and good luck with all of your snowboarding antics over the next couple of months. Uh, I'll be keeping in touch and, and avidly following you. So, so yeah, massive good luck uh, for the next couple of months. Amazing. No, you too, Tim. And thanks for having me on. could quite possibly have one of the coolest jobs in the world. Not sure if I could cope with having to unfreeze my printer on a radiator, but never say never. Feel free to check Gaz out on social media at Gaz Vogan on Instagram and look for Gaz Vogan hashtag StenoDuck on YouTube to catch some more behind the scenes from his life as an international snowboard judge. Gaz will also be available to answer any of your questions on the Job Hunter podcast support group where I will also put some helpful info on where you can find out more about snow sports and competition. And if you haven't already liked us on Facebook, please do. It's at Job Hunter Podcast, on Instagram at Job Hunter Podcast, on Twitter at Job Hunter Pod. And if you want to get involved or potentially be on the show, drop us an email at jobhunterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, if you could subscribe and leave a good review on your podcast platform of choice, it really will help us grow and reach more people to share some more of these awesome stories. I've been Tim French, and this has been the Job Hunter Podcast. See you next time.